This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now, sometime in the next 10 or 15 minutes, the Bank of England will announce its decision on an interest rate rise. So we will get it while we're speaking to our guest today, Chris Johns. Chris is former chief economist with the Bank of Ireland, now a very respected commentator and a huge favourite with listeners to The Stand. Chris, there is great expectation I think the rate at the moment is 4.5 and it's expected to raise by a quarter of a percent, but some people have speculated it may be half a percent. This is, of course, Thursday. One thing about this, it's very dramatic and the British economy is now the worst in the G7 and probably in extremely bad shape with core inflation 7.1%, 8.7 I think is the overall inflation rate. This affects, I think, and I want to check this with you, one million people living on this island who are citizens of the UK. It also affects trade with Ireland and people who are doing business. How significant and important is this apparent collapse of the British economy to us? Well, it couldn't be more serious because the underlying truth here is that the Bank of England has lost control of inflation. And that's not true of any other major central bank in the world. And it hasn't been true of government's policy inflation really since the 1970s. There are some very apt comparisons with the 1970s, but there are plenty of unique features about what the UK is going through at the moment. And it is very serious. As you say, the UK does encompass uh, a million or so people in the north who are exposed to these higher interest rates. It was only 18 months ago, Eamon, that the base rate that we're talking about rising today was 0.1%. Yes. And it's risen 13. This will be the 13th rate rise in that period, correct? The 13th consecutive rate rise every single meeting. They haven't paused, like the United States did last week. Their central bank paused interest rates. One of the clues as to the Uh, that points to the problem that that the UK has um, relative to other countries is that you had last week the United States stopping, at least for a while, raising interest rates. We're still going full at it here in the UK because this isn't expected by anyone to be the last interest rate rise. We now expect rates, or at least the financial markets, to the extent that anybody can forecast this stuff, the financial markets tell us that they think rates are going to peak towards the end of this year or perhaps the first few months of 2024 at 6%, Eamon. Yes. So some big rises to come. Now, that affects 
everybody. The focus in all of the media over the last few days has been, of course, understandably, the mortgage holder, because the data and the new features of the mortgage market are really, really interesting and, and are worth in a moment exploring. But it's not just the mortgage holder. If you are a householder in England, Wales, Scotland, or Northern Ireland with a mortgage, you are going to be experiencing pain. The first thing that's unusual about this is that most of the pain has yet to be felt. Now, can I just interrupt you, Chris? We have a, the news now breaking. They've raised the interest rate to 5%, which is a half a percentage point rise, which is more than most expected. Yes. Sorry and, to do that. but No, no, thank you. Um, that's very helpful because it reinforces the point that they are acknowledging with this bigger than expected rise that they've got a really big problem and a much bigger problem than they thought likely even a month ago. So that's the mess that they've got themselves into. And I mentioned earlier about mortgages and how anybody in Northern Ireland or any other part of the UK is, go is going to be faced with a higher mortgage rate. But the, the new feature of the, the housing market, if you like, in the UK is the uh, advent of the fixed rate mortgage. Back yes. in the 1970s, that period that I mentioned is similar to the one that we've got now, everybody, 100% of people had something called a variable rate mortgage. You were just tossed around as interest rates went up and down. We've learned our lesson, or at least some of us have from that period, and have fixed our mortgages for two, three, four, five years, typically. And that means that people who took out fixed rate mortgages a couple of years ago have been insulated from all of this pain, but they are going to feel it. Yes. And the majority, we reckon 60% of the pain from these interest rate, these 13 interest rate rises that we've seen, with more to come, probably, or 60% of that pain has yet to be felt. It's going to be felt mostly in 2024. And guess what 2024 is? I shouldn't be laughing, but I will. It's an election year, yes. probably. And yes. so we are facing the potential for a housing crisis by people not being able to afford these massive increases in their mortgage payments. Because we are talking about people that fix their mortgages when interest rates were down at near zero, facing interest rates now of four, five, six percent. Yes. These are multiples of what anybody could reasonably have expected back then. Yes. And it's going to be a really serious problem. That could I'm not saying anything is guaranteed to happen, but this could crash the housing market and therefore the wider economy. Because because firms also are facing these higher business costs through interest rates. So anything borrowed for an overdraft or to buy some new machinery, land equipment, whatever investment that companies do is affected by higher interest rates. And it's one of the mechanisms that the higher interest rates bears down on inflation is that it kills all aspects of your economy, not just the housing market. So they're in serious trouble. Just in the housing market area, I saw one economist last night suggesting that mortgages will be stretched now so people can pay them until they're 80. But it also means for many that they'll have to sell their house, they'll have to downsize. It is a striking and terminal blow to a family, isn't it? Because England in particular, home ownership, an Englishman's home is his castle, and all of that. That is, it's a core value, isn't it? It is. And there have been lots of changes in the mortgage market um, and the housing market in recent years, we were actually in one aspect quite similar to Ireland. 
in that um, despite headlines that suggest to the contrary, it's actually very hard in Ireland for anybody that isn't repaying their mortgage to be evicted, at least quickly. Um, banks repossessing houses are the exception rather than the rule in Ireland. And we've gone that way in the UK as well. So I think those headlines probably, you know, thankfully, definitely thankfully of people losing their homes because of uh, inability to pay their mortgage are going to be far less in the future than they would have, would have been in the past. And that's a, a result of regulatory changes in the market in favor of the mortgage holder rather than the bank. And I think we can all understand why those rules have come into pass. But that does mean that people are going to end up with bigger debts. The pretend and extend thing that you alluded to earlier on, that mortgages will be yes. pushed out well into people's retirements. And um, that's all very well. But of course, ultimately, that ends up the mortgage costing them much more money than would yes. otherwise have been the case. I've seen yes. figures that an average mortgage extended till you're 80 years old will cost you between 50 and 100 grand more than yes. if you paid it off on time. And that means you know, penury in your old age, because you have to find that income to repay the mortgage until you're 80. And that comes out of your meager state pension. And one of the differences between Britain and Ireland is our pension, state pension, is a lot less generous than yours. Yes. So that, that spells trouble for ordinary households one way or the other. But I don't think too many of them, or indeed many of them, are going to be actually losing their homes, thank goodness. Now, you understand this business and this crisis better than anybody. In fact, you understand it. The rest of us only have the outline. It is usual for politicians and their lackeys and indeed their economists to blame the Bank of England in this case. And I saw Dr. Gerard Lyons, who was one of Boris's closest economic advisors, lashing the Bank of England last night. What have the Tories, and I'm thinking of all of them, for example, the most spectacular piece of financial news we saw come out of England was the Liz Trust, the brief Liz Trust premiership when Kwasi Kwarteng was her chancellor. We read that they did hundreds of millions or billions worth of damage. Where do they fit into this? And let's also factor in the COVID crisis, which every country in the world has had to face to some extent, and Brexit. Are all of those factors in this equation, or is it simply or primarily a Bank of England miscalculation? Yesterday was the first day, really, that I saw or I noticed these um, people like Gerard Lyons coming out of the woodwork, blaming the Bank of England. And you'd, ex you'd expect that to happen with yes. greater frequency going forward. The, the first cabinet minister was on the airwaves last night, I think it was, Somebody called Mark Harper, who's the transport secretary. Your, your listeners will never have heard of him because most people <laughs> in the UK have never heard of him either. Um, but he was briefing heavily on Sky News against the Bank of England in general yes. and Andrew Bailey in particular. They're clearly going after the institution and the individual. Sunak has come out and supported the Bank of England in the last few minutes or in some kind of way. So, so does his chancellor. But all of yes. Sunak's lackeys, because it's not just Harper, it's not just the... Um, economic, Boris Johnson supporting economists, yes. that are sources close to number 10 have yes. been very active on the airwaves today, briefing against the Bank of England. But Sunak has to tread that path right. very, very carefully because one of the many factors that have combined to produce this outcome for the UK, which is different to the outcome produced for other developed economies, is something that we call the moron premium. 
The moron premium is the amount of money that the government has to pay its borrowing costs, it, the famous government bond yields. Yes. And they shot up during the Liz Truss, Kwasi Kwarteng, brief era. Um, and as I say, this interest rate premium that the British government had to pay on its borrowings, it was and is still called the moron premium because we're not sure that it's altogether gone. But one way that you can get it back, if you want to get that moron premium back into British asset prices, is that you trash the Bank of England. Why is it called the moron premium? Because uh, perhaps somewhat unkindly, it wouldn't be necessarily my words, people regarded the policies, not the people, the Ah, policies pursued by um, this trust as positively moronic. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. The Tories have been in power now for 13 years. First of all, George Osborne was the chancellor when David Cameron was prime minister. Osborne was chancellor for six years. And austerity was his thing. Does he bear any responsibility? And my mum is attempting to understand and analyze this. Where should one properly 
begin? This is a long and complex story. And it's like um, there's a famous Cambridge economist at the moment. She's just been given a king's uh, damehood, unlike um, some other people who were not given damehoods in, in honors lists. Nadine Doris. Nadine Doris. Um, there's a professor at the mind. Cambridge University called Diane Coyle, very good economist. Yes who's just been ennobled. And she has described this as an Agatha Christie murder mystery in which there are lots and lots of suspects. Yes. But rather unlike an Agatha Christie murder mystery, you end up concluding that they all done it. It wasn't just one of them. (laughs) But one of the suspects right at the front of the list of usual suspects is George Osborne and his austerity policies, because that has contributed to the long-term economic problem the British economy has faced now for really 15 years which is that for most sensible measures of economic growth, we haven't had any. Yes. And his austerity has, complete, has contributed to that in various ways. But the principal way is that it, it encouraged an environment in which Britain no longer invests in itself. Yes. If you look at the data on the amount of money that we spent on building stuff, yes. be it our public sector infrastructure or our private sector companies, relative to other countries for years and years and years now, we just simply haven't done enough of it. And the point about investment, obviously some investment can be wasted if it's inefficient, but the good investment is what leads to your future economic growth. And if you don't do the good investment, you won't have future economic growth. We're living in that future now that was created by that absence of past investment. And that's one of the reasons why we have a stagnating economy. And Osborne was a, is remains. I saw him giving evidence to the COVID inquiry this week. He is and was a particularly arrogant person and politician and a particularly ambitious one who had clear designs on number 10. Look, we have a class of people in the UK, and this isn't remarked upon enough, but this is part of our problem. As I said, there are a lot of problems. But another suspect that I would put high up there on the list is the overeducated or hypereducated posh boy, and they're often boys, they're sometimes women, overeducated posh boys at private school that are actually educated beyond their abilities, but in a way that enables them to get into Oxford, yes. do that PPE degree, get state into conservative central office, and from there into the cabinet. And we have a list as long as your, as your arm, going back to people like Osborne and Cameron, bright enough, but not as bright as they think they are, completely overeducated, but no experience of life or anything. Yes. They met people like you or me, and they wouldn't know how to talk to us. No, These he people comes are so from a de- particularly wealthy family, doesn't he? He owns half of Scotland, his family. It's, yes. it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, he's one of these many, many types. Boris Johnson's one, Rishi Sunak is another. <laughs> I hope it's not the half that the SNP has. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm exaggerating to make a point. I'm, I I'm allowed to. I'm allowed to do that. To, to, yeah. But you, you ask fundamentally, why is the, are these problems in Britain so much worse than relative to other countries. Because every country has an inflation issue. Every country has, to a greater or lesser extent, higher interest rates and this cost of living crisis. So the common drivers of this, as you rightly say, were the pandemic originally and all of the supply chain stuff that we talked about back then. Vladimir Putin has had an impact on inflation by higher energy prices. Um, We've got other things going on as well that have made the thing worse. I've talked about the moron premium. That didn't help. But the gorilla, the 64-pound elephant, changing the metaphor, sitting in the room that we're not allowed to talk about in the UK, but I presume I can mention it to you, yes. is Brexit. Of course, yes. Now, Brexit has 
eroded the value of the pound on day one, and as that gives an inflationary impulse to the economy that lasts yes. for a long period of time. It's contributed to a big, big skills shortage in the UK because we've made immigration from the EU so much harder, particularly for lower paid workers. And um, it's also the case that people who could come to the UK now don't because they just feel that they, they yes. are unwelcome. It's yes. led to higher food prices because food exporters in the EU have looked at the UK market and said, for all sorts of reasons, I'm not going to bother exporting to the UK because it's just too difficult. Can and you remind us, Chris, what mm. proportion of trade, of England's trade, Britain's trade, was well, the done EU is, with the European is our largest, Union? Yeah. Our largest trading partner. And yes. estimates vary depending on whether you measure it via exports or imports and all the sort of thing. But think of it as around 40% yeah. of our trade is done with the EU. Yeah. So they are by far and away our biggest trading partner. And they promised as part of the Brexit package Trade yes. deals, new trade deals all over the world, spectacularly and particularly with the United States of America, which Biden is never going to happen. Biden has made that clear. Yes, and whoever is president, they just that's just not going to happen yes. in the case of. So you have all of the factors that are common to Ireland and to other countries driving the inflation interest rate story, but made much worse by uh, a, a government that serially does stupid things. The number one stupid thing was Brexit, but there were plenty of others, like um, the, the the moron thing that we had last yes. last autumn. And it produces a doom loop. It produces all sorts of effects going on. The interest rates going up in the way that they've gone up today have, are a very, very blunt tool. So, for example, how are higher interest rates today going to encourage more people to emigrate to the uh, to the UK to relieve its skill shortages? Yes. How are higher interest rates today going to encourage Spanish tomato growers to keep to send more cheap tomatoes uh, yes. to the UK? So it's a very blunt, and so the only thing that higher interest rates can actually do is drive your economy into the ground. Now, if the if the links between your economy and interest rates are actually quite weak, as they are, because a lot of these things are very interest rate insensitive that I've just been talking about, you've got to put interest rates up by even more than you would otherwise have done. And so you've really got to kill your economy. Now, yeah. the only some thing people are suggesting that they should engineer a recession in order to reduce inflation. Can you explain yeah. the thinking behind that? Because I can see, I can see the reasoning. Okay, I think in the United States, I mean, you've got um, in the UK as of the inflation numbers that were printed this week, eight point seven percent inflation. If we look at the equivalent number in the United States, it's 2.7%. So that's, if you like, yes. the gap between what's happened internationally and what's specific to the UK. The United States so far has managed to get its inflation rate down to that 2.7%. That, as I stress, is, is not their headline inflation, but it's the one that's comparable to that 87 in the UK. They've managed the immaculate slowdown so far. It may or may not change going forward. So they've achieved their reduction in inflation without generating a U.S. recession. And so the, the hope has always been that we could achieve something similar in the, in the United Kingdom. The hope is still the case that the European Central Bank will achieve the same for the Eurozone, including Ireland. But because of all of the factors that I've just mentioned, because that inflation number is still so high after 12, now 13 interest rate rises, the conclusion that we draw is that the only thing that's going to get it down all the way to 2%, which is their official target, 
is a recession. We don't see what else that they can do. There is only one caveat I would offer you here, and it's an important one, Eamon, and I'm not being a two-handed economist here, is that one of the things that you can you probably remember is that back during the pandemic, you and I had conversations about whether or not inflation was likely to be transitory yes. whether and all that good stuff. The word transitory was first used by the U.S. Treasury Secretary, if I'm yes. not mistaken. So the lesson from that experience of talking about inflation back then is that we got it wrong. Yes. And the fact is, everybody got it wrong. 99% of people got their analysis of inflation wrong and their forecasts of inflation wrong. So, And we could still be getting it very wrong today. And there could um, be some magical way in which the UK inflation rate suddenly starts to fall in a most unexpected way. The reason why I mention that is that the rise in UK inflation that we've seen was unexpected. It was unexpected by the Bank of England. It was unexpected by 99% of economists. We didn't realize their structural economic problems were this bad. But the fact that we've gotten inflation so wrong globally, not just in the UK, tells you just how imperfect our understanding of the inflation process is and how different the inflation circumstances are in different countries. So there is a hope there'll be some kind of immaculate slowdown in inflation in the UK that doesn't involve an outright recession. But it now looks like with interest rates going up by half a percent point of time, the numbers for the housing market, Eamon, are just horrendous. The number of people who are going to be experiencing real financial pain across all regions of the UK, including Northern Ireland, between now and the election and probably beyond, it really is potentially now very, very serious indeed for them. Let me ask you about stagflation. Could the UK, as I saw somebody suggest, get stuck in something called stagflation. I remember stagflation from my past, and you know what it is. Can you explain what stagflation is and how it will affect ordinary people? It was a term first really coined in the 1970s to describe the economic situation that many of us were in back then, which was a period of uh, low or no growth, often a couple of recessions. Uh, It was a time when inflation was very high because energy prices, sound familiar? Energy prices had gone up several times in the 1970s. Um, Unemployment was quite high. So that that was the sense of the stagnating economy, no growth, uh, high unemployment, and high price increases, high inflation. So that's the stag bit is no growth. The flation bit is um, often energy price-induced inflation. And what is the effect on the person, the 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 family? It means that your real incomes don't grow, uh, your inflation-adjusted income, so it gets harder and harder every year to make ends meet. Um, it's very good for governments, actually, because it, 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 it's like an inflation tax because the real value of their debts. So if, you're, if, you, if you owe people money, inflation is actually a very good thing, and governments are the ones that, that owe people money the most. But for ordinary individuals, it's terrible. And the way in which it works across the income distribution, it's worst of all for people at the bottom of the income distribution, for poorer people. And that's because when you have things like food and energy price inflation back in the 70s, as you did then, and you do now, because we have food inflation in the UK running between 18 and 19% year over year. And if you are a person at the bottom end of the income distribution, a poorer person relatively and probably absolutely, the proportion of your household income that you spend on food and energy bills 
approaches 100%. That's what you spend all of your money on because you don't have much money. These are the things that you have to have to live. Yes, of course. Whereas if you're a richer person, you hardly know, you know, the very rich don't notice these food prices going up. They don't notice energy yes. prices going up because it's such a small proportion of their total ridiculous incomes. So inflation affects everybody, but it affects poorer people the most. And that's one of the ways in which it is really insidious. Now, politically, Rishi Sunak, first of all, he's a hedge fund manager, a very wealthy man. He gave five promises to the British people two or three months ago. One of them was to have inflation by the end of this year, I think. As you pointed out earlier, Chris, next 2024 is most probably an election year. It certainly can't be delayed much longer. In all the circumstances that we're looking at, not least the 13 years that the Tories have been in power and the damage Mr. Osborne, for example, did the Brexit thing, and this, the Tories' chances of being re-elected are slim. Is that, is that accurate, would you say? At the moment, slim to, to none. I checked the government website for those five pledges just before we came on air because I knew you'd ask me about them. Yes. and Because uh, one of the things that's really interesting about making economic promises are that the advice an economist would give given Sunak is by all may- means make inflation, growth, debt, whatever promise you want to make, but don't put a date on it. Yes. And um, there it is on the government website when I looked just before we came on air. Sunak's five pledges for 2023. Yeah. So they're five pledges for this year. So um, he made it. The others aren't going great either. Well, um, just it's, it's, it's instructive just to run through them to actually I get a sense of, you know, we, we praise Sunak for his competence, his managerialism, and, and, and frankly for being boring. But when you look at what he did was make these promises with a date attached, it's downright dumb because he yeah. promised to halve inflation. And as I say, the headline is for 2023. Yeah. So we'll give him some credit by the end of this year. It's theoretic. It looked a nailed on certainty according to inflation forecasts when he made this promise. The first thing to say about it is that inflation is not in his gift. It's not under his control. It's the yes. Bank of England's responsibility. So why he would make this promise, I don't know, apart from the fact that somebody somewhere in his private office was saying, well, inflation is going to halve this year, Rishi. Why don't you promise that it'll halve? So he did. Stupid, really stupid thing to do because it looks perfectly possible. We don't know because I keep saying to you, Eamon, inflation keeps surprising. Hmm. Um, We really don't have a good handle on it. So it is, but on current trajectories, he's not going to make this promise now. He promised that GDP would grow and that there would be economic growth. And we've got 0.2% according to the last set of numbers. Um, so he's just about managing that promise. The debt, he's going to reduce the debt. Remember that one? I do, yeah. Do you know what? Yesterday, it went over 100% of GDP. It did, yes. Which is, Har- uh, Harold Macmillan was Prime Minister the last time that happened. Yes. NHS waiting lists, he's going to cut them this year. They are at record levels. Yes. Stop the boats. No uh, no sign of that no. and no chance of it. Um, the only thing that's going to stop the boats is bad weather. It certainly isn't going to be Rishi Sunak. So at least four of his five promises, if not all of them, are not going to be met. And at the bottom of the website, the government's official website, it says, I expect you, you, because he's talking to me personally, mm-hmm. um, to hold me and my government to account for these five tests. Just let me ask two final questions. What is happening with EU interest rates generally? And... I want to ask about Michael McGrath, who's our Minister of Finance presently, and Pascal Donoghue, who was previously, and they are in kind of tandem. But Michael McGrath is the boss now, and Pascal Donoghue was. We're not 
I'm sure, comparing like with like, so this may be a stupid question. I remember when Britain was described as the sick man of Europe. I'm sure you do too. It was back in those 70s days that you talked about pre-Margaret Thatcher, but Labour governments and things. First of all, relative to other major comparable nations, Germany, France, etc., Spain, how is inflation in Europe? And then in terms of the management of our own economy here, that also clearly isn't like for like. But just if you have any thoughts about that. Sure. The comparison with the UK is really interesting because you can understand the economic similarities and differences when you think about Ireland, which, like the UK, but has an inflation problem, but not as big a one, because Ireland hasn't had to deal with its own problems that the, that I mentioned for the UK, you know, the, Brexit. Like Brexit and yep. all the rest of it. Yep. So the Ireland is like the EU. Think of it as an average EU country in this particular regard, in that it has got uh, an inflation issue, which is coming down, thanks to what the um, European Central Bank has done, which is unlike the the, um, the most recent numbers for, for the UK, which has sparked all of this controversy, because inflation has stopped falling in the UK. So that, there's a difference. Ireland has had a red-hot economy now since the, since the end of the financial crisis. The UK hasn't grown since the end of the financial crisis. So that's yes. a real difference. And that speaks to one of the really interesting uh, things about what's going on in the UK and Ireland, in that both have this very, very tight labour market. There's a shortage of workers in both countries, yes. which is great if you're a worker, because it means you can get your wages up. And that's one of the reasons why you have an inflation problem. But you can understand why Ireland has a labour shortage, because you've had a red-hot economy for 15 years. Mm. If you haven't had a red-hot economy in the UK, quite the opposite, actually, a bit of a nothing economy for the last 15 years, why on earth have you got a shortage of workers? And that's where the whole Brexit discussion comes in, because we're not importing workers anymore. But, but Eamon, I don't know if you, you know about the, 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 the bad health of the UK workforce, Yes, two and I a do. half million people, two and a half million people now say, and I've no reason to doubt them, that they are too sick to work. Of yes, the total I, do. I saw workforce, this story last week, yes. It's 7% of the workforce is yes. sick. In the yes. past four years, it's gone up 25%. Yes. Government disbursements on disability payments a couple of years ago were £14 billion. By the first year of the next government, they're going to be £25 billion on current trajectory. So that's that's we have these very strange things going on in the UK that you do not have yes. in Ireland. You don't have seven percent of your workforce um, being uh, on disability benefits. Mm. You have obviously you have some. So there are lots and lots of similarities, but many many big differences. And of course, the biggest difference of all is that because of that red hot economy, you've got plenty of money. Because we haven't had anything like a red hot economy, we haven't got any money to spend. So any talk of tax cuts before the next election, which is what Sunak and Hunt want, I mean, that frankly is for the birds and it would be like quasi Quartang all over again if they do it. But you've got this debate about what are you going to do with this huge pot that you found at the end of the rainbow? And if anything, that pot is growing. Incidentally, and finally, do you have an opinion about that? I do. Um, I have an unusual opinion, which is that um, everybody is warning, including the central bank. Yes, the central bank of Ireland warned the government yesterday not to spend too much or and or cut taxes too much because it would generate Irish inflation. Mm. And my view, which I think I'm in the minority one on this, actually, Eamon, mm. um, is that Irish inflation today in the monetary union that you're in, called the euro, 
matters as much as when you used to have the punt, the differential inflation between, say, Dublin and Limerick. Do you ever remember anybody talking about Limerick inflation versus Dublin no. inflation? It's that's in that exactly analogous to talking about Irish inflation relative to German, French, Spanish, or Portuguese inflation. It doesn't matter. Irish inflation, in my opinion, as I say, it's a minority of one. There are lots of reasons to do spending increases, spending cuts, or whatever, or taxing, but infl Irish inflation is not one of them. My opinion is that you should spend the money and, sa and save it. You should do the two things that the, the right. finance minister is proposing to do, but spend it wisely on the country's infrastructure. Okay, Chris, as always, it's a pleasure to talk to you and an education. And I'm sure on behalf of all our listeners, they'll want me to thank you very much on this particular day. We're very grateful to Chris Johns, former Chief Economist of the Bank of Ireland, now a very respected commentator who's on podcast, incidentally, The Other Hand, which he does with Jim Power, another valued contributor to the stand. We're grateful to Chris, to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.